0: Hi there, it's Ed here with a short message before we start the pod this week. Did you know that our most informed investors get insights, articles and investment ideas from Tom, me and the team sent directly to them via email and it is completely free. You can join them. Just subscribe at fidelity.co.uk slash newsletters. Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, when should you sell an investment? So much of our energy as investors is focused on what and when to buy, but knowing when and when not to sell is just as important. That's our focus today, as well as rounding up the state of markets three weeks into a new year. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us, or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Investors spend a lot of time thinking about what investments to buy and when to buy them. A lot less time is spent thinking about when to sell, yet this is often as important in determining your overall success in the long run. It's never quite as simple as buy low, sell high. Sometimes Selling after you've lost a bit is the best decision if your investment goes on to lose a lot. So, how can investors perfect the art of selling? To answer that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Now Tom, um, we're also going to look at general market conditions right now as we uh, as we reach uh, the end of January and the start of this new year, but um, we're talking first about selling investments. What challenges come when you're selling an investment that perhaps aren't there when you're buying?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is that selling is part and parcel of the whole investment journey. I mean, you can't uh, you can't just buy um, investments and hold them for the rest of your life. Well, you could, but it's extremely unlikely that you would do that. <clears throat> um, and so, knowing when to sell is something that we have to think about. The challenge and the difference between buying and selling is that, you know, when you buy an investment, it's it's kind of like a blank sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have an idea, you do a bit of research, you decide it's the right decision, and you mm-hmm. go for it. When you come to sell, there's all sorts of other emotional baggage that comes along with that decision. Yeah. Because ultimately, you made a decision at some point in the past to buy an investment. And when you do that, you you make an investment, not just a financial investment, but you make a, a psychological and emotional intellectual investment. an intellectual in- investment. And, you know, your um, you know, your your sense of value, of, of your reputational value, all of those kinds of things come into play, your yeah. sense of self. And um, so psychologically, it's actually quite difficult to to go against what you decided was a good idea. Some time in the past. That's the fundamental difference between selling and buying. I think,
0: and and, and well, it, it it sort of applies to buying as well. But but certainly when you're selling an investment, um, it's very hard not to map onto that. You know the performance of an investment that you've been holding. Yeah. Um, when actually, the decision should almost be divorced from that, shouldn't it?
1: Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, when you come to uh, when you come to either make a, a purchase or a sale. What's happened in the past is of no consequence whatsoever. You know, the decision that you should be making is purely um, on the basis of where you are at the moment and what you anticipate the future will be. The past
0: is another country. It's gone. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And you've written about this whole topic this week and you made the point that um, too often what makes this hard for investors is that they didn't really know or they don't really know why exactly they bought something in the first place which then means it's quite hard to apply any kind of logical critical thinking uh, as to whether or not they should sell it. Um, I've definitely done that, I would say. How can investors combat that? And if they're building a case for buying or they, you know, theoretically have a case of buying, how forensic should that case be? Because there are obviously limits on levels of expertise and information and what have you mm. yeah I mean it's sound, it sounds an odd thing to to
1: say doesn't it that you know you don't you don't know why you why you made an investment in the first place but that is the reality because you know quite often you might hold an investment for several years and mm-hmm. you just forget you know you forget what the circumstances uh were like when you made that investment you forget, in, you know, important um, factors like, you know, the valuation of that investment when you made it, what the what the, the, the growth story was that you were anticipating. So I think that, the, the you know, uh, an important thing that people can do, and it's a very simple thing to do, is just just keep a diary, you know. Keep a notebook yeah. um, or, you know, however you, you want to do it, but just make a note of the rationale, the thinking, uh, when you make an investment, you know what's the story here you know what am I expecting what is the valuation what are the salient numbers um and then you've got something to hold on to when you go back when you go back and you and you're reassessing the situation maybe in three years time you can say well that was the situation then this is situation now the valuation has changed the story has changed whatever Uh, and then you can make a a more informed decision
0: And, and a word you used a couple of times there was story Now, this is this is often the case with uh, small investors, I I would say I this applies to me as well, we are, um, we love a story, we love to tell ourselves a story about the growth potential of a company of a region, whatever it is, of an asset. Uh, And let's face it, the the investment industry is very good at telling these stories. Mm. Um, And you can buy into long term stories quite easily. That often, I think, is what investors mistake as their rationale, mm. when actually you need to apply some other thing. And and, and I'm thinking here of valuation or earnings. I mean, I mean, it doesn't always have to be a hard and fast number exactly, but certainly a sense of that sort of mathematical case because the two go together it's not just about a narrative it's about um a value and the potential for numbers to get bigger in the future Mm.
1: yeah and that's absolutely right In, in you know there essentially there are two aspects to um to making a decision to to buy an investment one is that that growth story. I mean, you are you are, you are you are making an investment because you anticipate that in future the earnings of that company are going to be greater than they are today, or demand for their product is going to be greater than they are today. You know, however you define the story, there is a story, and the the story yeah. is important. But just as important, there is a price to pay for everything you know and sometimes that price is too high and sometimes that price is attractively low and 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 both of those elements
0: are key in the decision it's interesting I'll just say that I um I read what you wrote about this and I applied it to a recent investment I made and realized I had done none of these things basically I mean I well I'd, I'd sort of partially come up with a a case for buying on valuation grounds but I really I've since had to kind of retrofit a, a kind of rationale and say, okay, actually, that the case is still there, I think. You know, that's why I bought. This is what I'm expecting or hoping can happen. And now I'm a bit clearer on that now, so that I know that if it doesn't happen, then maybe it's time to think again. It's actually um you don't have to be an investment professional exactly, but you you, you do need to pay attention to the uh, the catalysts it's sometimes called the things that you're hoping to happen to to actually work out whether they're going to happen yeah and you know what it also
1: works in 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 other ways as well in in you know the flip side of that is uh, you know re- returning to the story um might actually reassure you that uh that the situation that the story is still in place that the situation is still good so i mean uh you know a good example of this is um Uh, you know, investments in long-term growth stories. So, you know, like these technology stocks that that we talk about a Mm -hmm. lot, you know, sort of... I mean, you could have, you know, you could have written down in your little notebook 15 years ago, uh, a case for buying Apple in terms of, you know, demand for their products, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And you might have returned to that story in eight years' time, Mm. um, by which time the share price had risen a lot, and you might say, well, OK, let's re- let's assess the growth story now. Actually, the growth story is still very good. The mm-hmm. shares have gone up tenfold or whatever they had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still want to hold this story because I think that the growth story is still intact. So it's not just a, a trigger for saying, oh, the story's changed. I better sell this stock. It can be just a, a reassurance as well.
0: Yeah. And... Um you also wrote this week that there can be there can be good reasons to sell and bad reasons to sell. We have covered a bit of it but why don't we flesh those out a little bit? What are those potentially good and potentially bad reasons to sell an investment?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, this comes back to my my original comment there about how selling is part and parcel of the process of investing because mm-hmm. there are there are good reasons to 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 sell. I mean, we've touched on some of them. I mean, one of them might be that the story has changed. There might have been a fundamental change in the market. Um, the the demand for a, for for a product may have fallen away. It may have been. Um, uh replaced by uh, a competing product and and just the story has changed mm. and you know if the story changes then it's perfectly um rational to change your mind um so that's that that i would say is a good example of of when of a good reason um to sell i mean there are other sort of um you know rather more mundane practical reasons why it's it's good to sell one of the reasons why we invest in the first place uh is to um is to produce the funds to spend in the future Mm -hmm. that's that's you know we're we're not saving just as an intellectual exercise so that we can make lots of money um uh the reason we save and invest is to is to create the funds to to fund our lifestyle in the future Mm. it may be that that time has just arrived you know and you actually need the money now so you need to sell it so i think there are a number of of good reasons to sell what i flagged up in my article is that there are though a number of bad reasons to sell and some of those reasons actually sound like quite good reasons and 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 the one which i've sort of focused on was um having made a profit yes now often people say well that's a really good reason uh to sell you know you you bought a share it's gone up by 50 percent over a period of time fantastic cash it in everyone's happy Mm -hmm that's true but but you know as we said before what's happened in the past is totally irrelevant at that point in the future when the share price has gone up 50 percent you have to ask yourself a question what's the outlook now what's the growth story now what's the valuation now do i think that this share has the potential to go up by another 20 30 percent whatever if it does then selling because you've made a profit it's a re- actually a really bad idea.
0: Uh, well, we do it because it's easy to do, isn't it? Psychologically, it's easy to do because you can you can sell anything that's gone up and then you can kind of bank that and put it in the column of my correct investment decisions. You then don't pay attention to what would have happened had you kept it.
1: Yeah. And indeed, you know, it, were that share to carry on rising, then it is human nature to actually deliberately not look... Yeah, uh, to, to to avert your gaze from what's because because we're constantly looking for 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 um, uh, reasons to to think that we've made the right decision, as you mm. say, to notch it up as a as a good decision, um, and to and to ignore what sub- subsequently happened.
0: And, and you know, when we talk to um, when we talk to professional investors, fund managers say they will often say, actually, it's not about making um, uh, you know or, uh, the majority of your decisions which are correct. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's not like you want every decision to to rise a bit and that's okay. The reality probably is actually most of them don't work or don't particularly add to your outperformance. But there's a small number that really add a lot. Mm. So that means that at some point that professional investor has looked at a gain they've already made and said, no, I'm hanging on for more. And that's where long term success comes.
1: I think what you what you find if you actually if you actually study the the um, the trades and the performance of the best investors uh, is that you'll find that they make a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't matter. If I mean, you could argue that just making slightly more than fifty percent of your decisions. In good decisions is enough. I think that would be very good. Yeah. As long as you hold on to the good ones, and the scale of the outperformance of the good ones is greater than the the, the scale of the losses. Um. We haven't talked about cutting your losses yet, but if you if you manage that process so you ru- you allow your profits to run and you and you and you somehow minimise you cut your cut your losses, then a fifty one percent hit rate is actually probably more than good enough.
0: Yeah. Indeed. Well. Yeah. We'll come on to the the, the sort of cutting your losses side of this but but i guess one more potentially um reasonable and rational um reason for for selling an investment is to is to rebalance your your investments i mean to to take stock and if if your risk uh the the risk you're taking has become excessive in some area it can make sense to reduce that right
1: yes i mean it it might be it might be that your risk appetite has changed or that the risk of uh, the risk uh characteristics of your portfolio have have changed it may just be that that you've been lucky or, or, or you know you've chosen well and one or two of your uh, um, investments have done extremely well and so the balance of your portfolio has changed so the the, the desired weighting of your portfolio has, has changed and actually rebalancing your portfolio not not all the time but you know regularly maybe once a year just to rebalance your portfolio so that it actually looks like the portfolio that you would like to like to hold is a sensible thing. That's
0: another good reason to sell. And, and what about losing investments then? Because uh, if, if people are sort of, you know, um, students of investing, they will understand that it often takes a contrarian mindset. It often means, um, you know, doing the difficult thing. And so, so when something's lost value, they may well see sense in not selling it, maybe even buying more because it's now at a cheaper price. Um, but clearly you there can be a benefit of cutting losses. So how would you go about making that assessment?
1: Yeah, and some people talk about this uh, um, idea of having a stop loss. So you say, yeah. you know, you know, if, if I, I will I will automatically and without thought, sell uh, any investment that falls 20, 25% from, from my purchase price. I, I can I can understand the thinking there, but I actually don't think it's a good idea um, because uh, depending on the type of investment, you know, shares can be quite volatile. And mm. I think it, it comes back to this question of uh, all the time, you must ask yourself, what is the situation now? So, you know, uh, revisit your notebook. Why did I buy this share in the first place? What was the valuation that I bought it at? Presumably, if the share has fallen by 25 30%, then the valuation is cheaper than it was. Uh, so has the story deteriorated enough that that valuation, that lower valuation, is not attractive? Or if the story is still basically intact, then presumably that share is still attractive. Arguably, you could argue that if that happens, you shouldn't be selling that investment. You should be buying more of that investment. Yeah.
0: And and let's just apply some of this thinking to uh, those investing in funds rather than just individual companies. Um, you can still do a comparable sort of exercise, can't you? If a fund manager has um, lost relative to the market, it's important to understand why they've lost. Yeah. Have they lost because bets that they've made have not come come off, but were reasonable bets for them to make, if I can put it that way. Mm. And so whether they match up to your expectations of what they were going to do, because that might still be a reason to to stay invested in that fund. But there might also be situations where they've underperformed. And frankly, um, they should have, you know, in conditions where they should have been performing better you've got to do a similar kind of assessment right and, and work out what's gone on
1: it is a similar it is a similar assessment it's slightly different in in as much as you know when you're talking about an individual stock you're talking about an individual story and an individual valuation when you're talking about a fund manager what you're really thinking about is their process have they stuck to their process mm. and what is their overall sort of investment philosophy and their view of the market and so you need to make a judgment about that I mean are they simply barking up the wrong tree or are are they investing in the wrong area of the market? Are they investing in, you know, value-focused stocks when actually, um, you know, growth is in the ascendancy and is likely to continue? That may be a reason not to stick with that manager. Um, so yeah, it's it's similar but subtly different.
0: Yeah, and um, just just finally on this topic, Tom, um, we're coming up to the end of the tax year, and there may be situations where investors want to uh, to sell investments in terms of uh, for, for the purposes of, of fulfilling a tax allowance, in particular the capital gains tax allowance, an amount of money you're able to take before CGT is due. Um, they're going to have a choice, aren't they? They can sell winning assets, they can sell losing assets, they can take uh, a little bit from all of their assets. Is there is there a sort of uh, firm way of thinking about this or or is it or is it just a yes
1: well there are a few considerations here i mean one one consideration obviously is that you know you you want to be um uh over time moving your assets from uh, uh a an unsheltered situation into a sheltered situation from tax so you know if you have if 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 you have holdings uh, within an ISA, maybe within a SIP, but also within just a general investment account, mm-hmm. then over time you want to use your allowances each year. So to move your investments from the from the general investment account into the Tax sheltered uh, ISA and ISA and SIP, so that's one re- that's one reason to sell, um, and and obviously you should focus on selling those uh, before you sell the the, the yes. sheltered. Uh, but then then there's the question of you know whether you should sell the, the 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 winners and the losers, and I don't think there's a simple answer to that because again mm-hmm. it's the same answer that we've mentioned a, a few times. You need to look at each on their merits and say you know which of these which of these investments actually has the most attractive prospect because you want to sell the ones that have the least attractive prospect going
0: forward. Or or, or sell in a way that brings you back into balance in terms of your the way you want to construct a portfolio right i mean that i i, I sort of notice that you, you kind of think well what if i want to maintain a particular mix of assets or regional distribution whatever it is mm. you need to sort of sell one place rather than an, another that can mm. sometimes dictate what you do
1: yeah so there isn't a simple answer there are a number of different factors you need to consider when you're when you're rebalancing a your portfolio
0: in that way Okay. Okay. Well, Tom, let's leave that there because I did want to also talk to you about markets more generally um, and the start that they've had in twenty twenty four. Some volatility. There's always volatility, I suppose. Some profit taking a bit, but also some uh, new highs in areas of the market. Yeah, as well. it's been so- it's
1: been a real mixed bag actually since since the turn of the year. There have been some markets which did very well at the end of last year and have continued to do well. I'm thinking of the Japanese stock market Mm -hmm. has continued to rise. There are some markets which did very badly last year and have continued to do badly. I'm thinking particularly of the Chinese uh, stock market. There are other markets, um, uh, the sort of more mainstream traditional markets like the US, which did very well at the end of last year and have paused for breath. Um, And so, I mean, we actually saw just last week, in fact, the uh, the S&P 500 hit a new all time high, mm-hmm. but when you know to, the word "hit" a new all time high probably slightly <laughs> overstates it in terms of yeah. uh, momentum because really um, I, I think that the the index sort of kind of limped over the the finishing line. It's taken three weeks for the S and P to 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 get that final one and a half percent that it needed to get over the previous high from 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 two years ago. You got to remember that in November and December. Um, it rose by about 16%. So the, the, the US market has definitely run out of steam. It's lost momentum. And I think that's not surprising. When you think about the scale of the, of the ramp up last year on the back of changing expectations about the future direction of interest rates principally, it's not surprising um, that, given that that narrative has slightly changed, um, and just given the scale of the uptick it's not surprising that market should have paused a bit
0: yeah well I, w- I was going to say it's there's always a likely to be that sort of effect because as you get as you get to that high there will be investors who um, want to take profits see now as a good time if they're generally in the in the business of sort of decumulating their their funds now might be a good time for them to do it so you always might have a bit of sort of resistance around that all-time high um, and just on the point you make about the the changing um, macro, picture uh, expectations around rates inflation um, and their effects on on the stock market where are we with that calculus how has that changed or shifted this year
1: yeah well the big driver of the rally at the end of last year was uh, as i say this this changing expectation about interest rates Um, the 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 federal reserve kind of started to hint that that maybe the time had come uh, to start thinking about easing interest rates and i think that the market Possibly got slightly ahead of itself um, in its expectation about how far and how fast interest rates w- would fall. It's all data-driven. We, mm. you know, the, the the Fed says that we will be we will be guided by the data, and the data that we've seen so far this year has actually um, kind of argued the other way. the it the 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 U.S. economy has has continued to be pretty resilient. Um, uh, the jobs market is still. Pretty strong um, uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. Actually, the inflation rate, which had been falling throughout last year, slightly ticked up. Yeah. So it's not a straight line, and you know people often talk about the the last mile, the sort of the, the final push to get interest uh, to get inflation back to target, is sometimes the hardest bit. And I think that's you know all of those things are being factored in by investors, and they're thinking, well maybe in November and December, we just got slightly ahead of ourselves in our expectations for interest rates. Maybe going to be a little slower. Interest rates are going to stay a little higher than we hoped for. Um, And uh, so the enthusiasm, the market enthusiasm has been tempered
0: slightly. And and, and here in the UK, I mean, uh, you're right, those expectations have changed somewhat. Um, We were in a situation where there were people saying we might get as many as five interest rate cuts this year, which is... You know, which would be a few consecutive ones probably, mm. um, and and the first of those as soon as the spring or May perhaps. That looks a bit optimistic now, doesn't it? With the um, we had inflation ticking up in the UK. Uh, last week, I believe. Um,
1: yeah, so inflation was ticking up. Um, wage wage growth still remains pretty high and yeah. and ahead of the overall um, inflation rate. And I think that the Bank of England will want to see evidence that that is coming down uh, before they start um, cutting interest rates. Um, on the other hand, you know, we've seen uh, some weakness in growth. Retail sales were, were yes. fairly disappointing. So it's a pretty, it's, it's a mixed bag, the picture. Yeah. And, you know, um, who would be a central banker? It's it, Making these judgments is extremely difficult. But, you know, at some point we are going to see uh, a, f- a fall in interest rates. I think it's just a scale we're talking about. I think in December, the expectation was uh, as much as one and three quarters percentage yeah. points this year. Uh, from the current 5.25%, I think maybe the expectation now is maybe it's one percentage point, you know, Mm. so it's, it has been expectations have been reined in a bit, but we are the direction
0: of travel is still um, downwards. Okay, okay. Well, Tom, that is all the time we have for now. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Ed.
1: You've been listening to the Money Talk podcast, Check fidelity.co.uk for daily written updates and articles on these and other topics from across Fidelity in the UK. And subscribe via iTunes to get the podcast downloaded direct to your devices every week.